The lengths that some will go to leave their current life or current marriage is just mind-blowing. This is the not-so-love story of Eric and Corey Richens. Eric and Corey were married in 2013, and from the outside, their marriage appeared to be a happy one, full of lots of love, full of smiles, vacations. The couple had three children, ages 10, 9, and 6. They owned a beautiful property. They appeared to have everything they could ask for in life and in each other. But again, that was just as an outsider looking in. And for Corey, well, I'm not sure anything could have ever made her happy. Their marriage, from my opinion, got off to a weird start. Because not only did they sign their marriage license on June 15th, 2013, but Corey also signed a prenup on her wedding day. Which obviously there's nothing wrong with a nup, but to sign it on your wedding day? I don't know. This just kind of sets a vibe. It's like, do we have trust issues? Was Eric really just trying to protect himself? Did he get weird vibes from Corey? It's just a lot on your wedding day, okay? At least to me. So at 3 a.m. on March 4th, 2022, a 911 call was received regarding an unresponsive man inside of his residence at 282 Willow Creek in Camas, Utah. Despite life-saving measures, 39-year-old Eric was pronounced dead at the scene. Corey was the only adult in the house at the time with the couple's three children who thankfully slept through the whole ordeal. When asked, Corey shared her version of events that took place that night. Not much was out of the ordinary, she said. Her and Eric were doing great as a couple. That night, they had been celebrating the purchase of a midway mansion that they had just bought while hanging out in their room. Corey stated that she wasn't in the room when Eric became unresponsive because she had went into the room of one of her children who needed her at bedtime. The last time that she seen Eric, she said that she had delivered him a Moscow mule, And that's when she went to go lay with their son, who had been having nightmares lately. So as the investigation wrapped up into Eric's untimely death, inside the home that morning, his body was rolled out of the house and into the ME's office for an autopsy, which would determine his exact cause of death. The lives of everyone who knew Eric were just shattered. They couldn't believe that such a sweet soul was gone forever. Eric's three kids were especially heartbroken. Corey would later tell local news stations that Eric's death took them all completely by shock. And that's why she sat down with her and Eric's kids to pen and publish a book that would help others through their experience with grief. The book that she published was called Are You With Me? And she wrote this book, she said, because... Her experience with grief was like nothing they could have ever imagined. They had no idea what to feel, what to expect the next day, and she wanted to maybe help others that were going through something similar. As word of Eric's death spread around the community, everyone just grieved with Corey and the boys. They could not imagine what this family could be going through to lose Eric at such a young age. Well, after a few weeks pass by, Eric's autopsy results come in and the findings were beyond anything anyone could have expected. Eric not only died suddenly, but he didn't die suddenly to Corey. Eric had been deliberately poisoned with fentanyl 
inside of his system at the time of his death was five times the amount needed to kill one person. Someone wanted Eric dead. A search warrant of the Richens' home produced Corey's cell phone, multiple computers, and other electronic devices. And on Corey's devices, those messages that she had deleted or thought she deleted between her and another person only referred to as CL in court documents, well, all of those were retrieved by investigators who were just a little bit smarter than her. So CL was an acquaintance of Corey's who earned themselves a lengthy police record with multiple counts of possession with intent to distribute, possession of controlled substances, and possession of drug paraphernalia. In an interview with CL, it revealed that fentanyl transactions between CL and Corey started back between December 2021 and February 2022 when Corey had inquired about buying some prescription medicine for an investor friend of hers. She said that this investor friend was experiencing some back pain and wanted to know if Corey can get any pills to help them through it. So CL delivered the pills upon Corey's request and delivered them to a house in Midway, leaving the pills hidden exactly where Corey said that they could find the money. So it would be a few weeks later when Corey would hit up CL again, but this time asking them if they can get any of that Michael Jackson stuff. Because the hydrocodone that they had supplied a few weeks prior wasn't enough for her friend's pain. So CL went to their dealer and got 15 to 30 fentanyl pills, which they delivered to Corey, she paying $900 cash for the transaction. Within three days of this transaction, while the couple was vacationing in Greece, Eric became violently ill Valentine's Day 2022, a sickness beyond anything he could have ever experienced or even described. Eric had no idea what caused him to get so sick, but the more he thought about it, he suspected Corey, even confiding in friends of his suspicions. So not exactly wanting Eric alive, Corey goes back to CL after he lives to come home from Greece and asks for another $900 worth of pills. Corey again lets CL know where the money can be hidden and where they can leave the pills. When CL arrived at that same midway home, they left the pills inside an outdoor fire pit this time and took the $900 cash that Corey had left behind. And within two weeks, Eric would be dead. So in that prenup that Corey signed on their wedding day, the agreement stated that each did not have any rights to one another's present future income, property, or assets except if Eric Richens died while the couple was still lawfully married. And at that time, Eric's partnership interest in his business would transfer over to Corey, including the home that Eric would eventually die in. So after Eric's death, it came to light that the couple had been in financial ruin for quite some time. So it started back around 2020 when Eric discovered that Corey had been draining his assets, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of his hard-earned money, taking out a quarter of a million dollar equity line, which had zero availability when Eric made the discovery, and Eric came upon $100,000 of missing money from his bank account, and discovered that cash in the tune of $134,000 that was set aside for tax payments was also missing. Corey didn't stop there, though. She racked up more than $30,000 in charges on Eric's credit cards. 
I want to know what the fuck she was spending all of this money on, how he didn't realize all of this cash was gone, and what was she buying that he didn't notice? I'm thinking like it must have been like diamonds, (laughs) something that's like easy to hide. I don't know. So when Eric confronts Corey about all of this missing money, all of these charges, the equity line, she agrees to pay it all back. She apologizes up and down, but he's pissed. He goes straight to a divorce lawyer to go over his options. He visits with an estate planner to be sure that his kids will be taken care of in the event that something happened to him because he was just not feeling comfortable in his current situation. So at this time, a living trust was established with Eric's sister Katie as a primary beneficiary. His partnership interest in his business would also be thrown into this trust as well as a $500,000 life insurance policy that was once in Corey's name. But he's like taking everything out of her name. He's making sure that if anything happens to him, she doesn't benefit from anything at all. So with these changes all happening behind Corey's back, she couldn't be more deserving of any of them seeing all of the moves she was making behind Eric's back. Like, let me tell you. There were four insurance policies that Corey took out in Eric's name from 2015 to 17, totaling a whopping $2 million. These, you guys, were opened only two years after the couple got married, which is a wild thought. Like, she's been fantasizing about killing him and making out with all this cash for that long? That is a different kind of evil, let me tell you. But Corey's making, like, big moves in January 2022. She's stepping up her game. She knows what she wants, and she is going to get it. So this is when she starts buying the fentanyl, and this is when she tries to change one of Eric's life insurance policies with New York Life, changing the beneficiary from his business partner to her. This change was made for like 2.5 seconds, but was reversed when someone at New York Life became suspicious of the change and was like, no, we're going to keep it as the original beneficiary unless we hear from Eric. So a couple weeks later, Corey opens up another $100,000 policy in Eric's name. A week after that policy is issued, Eric believes that Corey tried to poison him on Valentine's Day in Greece. Corey told authorities that, God, I just wish he would have left her then. So in Corey's interview after the passing of Eric, she tells authorities that the night that Eric passed away, she was in her son's room sleeping. She didn't have her phone. It was in her room on the nightstand charging. Well, authorities knew that this was a huge red flag because forensics on Corey's phone that had already been done had showed that it was unlocked and locked multiple times during the time frame that she said she was asleep in her son's bed. And not only that, there were messages that were sent, received, and deleted from that phone in that same time frame. One thing was clear, Corey was not about to stop trying to save her ass, but she's only digging herself a bigger and bigger hole. So the day after Eric's passing, Corey closed on the Midway Mansion, which was worth $2 million. It was a home that Eric thought the couple didn't need. They actually fought about it. He said it was so unnecessary, but they went ahead and they made the big purchase. The closing happened the day after Eric's passing. And what do we do in light of both events? We throw a party at the house to celebrate. I want to know exactly who showed up to that party. Who is that heartless? And who supports Corey in that way? Like, that's pretty disgusting. 
So after the party, Corey gets caught up in an altercation with Eric's sister, Katie. And it's because Katie confronts Corey for having a locksmith coming over to open Eric's safe. Inside that safe was $125,000 to $165,000 cash. And over Katie's dead body, would Corey be getting that money? She knew what Corey was about. She had her suspicions about what Corey had done, why Eric was no longer here, and there was no way she was letting Katie get into that safe. But Corey, being who she was, ordered the locksmith to open the safe by any means possible while Eric's sister stood by on the property protesting, telling the locksmith that Corey had no right to this kind of decision because she was no longer the executor of the estate. Well, with that statement, Corey became enraged and started punching her sister-in-law in the face and neck. Since all of this, Corey's been arrested on charges of aggravated murder and three counts of possession of a controlled substance with intent to distribute. And with all of that, even with an aggravated murder charge, Corey has not stopped her quest for financial stability, not even while in jail on these charges, because she's been in direct contact with documentary filmmakers because of the overwhelming public interest in her story. Well, a gag order has been put in place on a temporary basis to stop all of this. And Eric's family could not be more happy because they don't think she's deserving of anything because they had their suspicions of Corey having ill will towards Eric after hearing him make statements about their relationship. So now with Eric gone and Corey sitting in jail, Eric's sister maintains legal guardianship over the Richens' children. And Corey is due in court on June 12th. So this will be a super interesting case to follow. I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of bombshells being dropped as she tries to save her ass and avoid a lengthy prison sentence. But we'll see. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining me today on Those Murder Girls podcast. If you're not already following us on social media, you can find us at Those Murder Girls podcast on every platform. And we hope you follow us, chat with us, send me a DM. Let's talk about today's case. I want to hear it. All right, you guys, until next week, I will see you on Friday with a brand new episode. This episode was written by Raina and produced by Jules. Bye, guys.